Uh, well, listen, the guest on the uh, podcast today, Valley Hoops Insider Podcast, is our friend Porter Moser, the head basketball coach at Loyola University, Chicago, the Missouri Valley squad that's had so much success the last several years. And Porter has written a book called All In by Porter Moser, uh, driven by passion, energy, and purpose. I want to ask you a couple things about that, Porter, but before we do that, um, just thank you for carving out time in the midst of a pandemic and everything else to hang out with us. Oh, no problem, Harry. You know, I, I speak for all the coaches. I know you, you deal with a lot of coaches, especially the Valley. Love dealing with you. You, you got that passion, energy, and purpose uh, for student athletes, for the sport. So this is, this is fun for me. Not a job talking to you today. I was talking to Penny Collins yesterday, the head basketball coach at Tennessee State. And I don't know if you know him but you would love him. I mean, he is an energetic guy building a program, going great guns in Nashville. So uh, I do. I love college basketball. I love, you know, teams like yours, programs like his. And uh, so it's a great joy for me as well. Tell me, we were talking before we really got started, why the book? Why, why write a book at this stage of your life, career, et cetera? You know, I, I never set out to, to write a book. Um, and when I, when I started working for Rick Majerus, I, I started journaling. I've never journaled in my life, um, but things were, there were such amazing stories. I mean, it was just funny, crazy. Um, and then I learned so much. And so I just started journaling. Next thing I know, four years, you know, I, I had hundreds of notes and I've never, and I remember reading a book um, in college and I grew up in the Chicago area, big 10 country, Bobby Knight. I went to his camp and, and I read Playing for Night by Steve Alford. And I remember reading it cover to cover, just like I was just as a college basketball player, I was, you know, everything was so big at Indiana then. And uh, the question that I got asked all the time was, what's it like working for Majerus? Everywhere I went, recruiting trail, I still get it. What's it like working for Majerus? So I was like going to write a book saying working for Majerus. And 100% would not be disparaging. The stories are hilarious, but it would be just my time working for him was just such an amazing journey. And then I got to Loyola and then the final four happened and I was approached by the Loyola Jesuit press right after. And so many stories were documented during that time. And, you know, one of my, one of the big part of who I am was my failures, you know, um, things that the roadblocks uh, that happened to me in my life, my faith has been a very, very part of my life. And they, they, the, they said, let's write a book about your journey. I'm like, gonna to want to read a book about my journey i can just see my buddies like lansing and those guys looking at me like what the hell are you writing a book for <laughs> and um so the uh so they they were persistent about six months in and uh they they just kept on at it and i remember having lunch with john gordon the author who i became friends with the past few years and we met in chicago for a cup of coffee and i just have read every one of his books cover to cover and i just i just think so much about him about his positive energy and he um uh, he said to me if you're gonna write a book write a book of something that your kids would be proud of, that your kids would want to read. And it just stuck with me. It just absolutely stuck with me. And so I did it. I, I wrote a journey and a book. And I, I just felt like I was doing this practice ever since I got fired. I was, I'd pick up the phone and call a coach. Hey, this doesn't have to be defining who you are. You know, get into this competitive reinvention. Mm -hmm. You know, you're competitive, obviously. You've been coaching. Get into this competitive reinvention. And I talk about that in my book and just – um just thought I'd put the, put the paper down. And just to come full circle, Harry, um, I knew it was worthwhile. My daughter is a freshman on the – now she's a sophomore. But she was on the freshman this past season on the Loyola women's basketball team. 
and they were on a they were driving to Peoria to play Bradley, and she sent me the most heartfelt text I've ever received about she's halfway through the book, and just how much she sees parallels and just I it was just blown away and it just made the whole project worthwhile even if me and you are the only two other adults that read it. <laughs> well, listen, at the, near the end of the book, you talked about being tempted to go to a, another school. And one of the motivations for sticking around was because she was a student at Loyola. And, and so I, I, I love that part of it. I love this part of it. Now I took the, the fancy cover off. It feels like a basketball. Whose idea was that? Gosh, I'd love to say it's mine. It was, it was someone at Loyola Jelly Press. They came by them and they had three different covers on the under, on the, on the bottom. They said it was, it was a regular one, another one, and the basketball. So they had three, and I'm like, oh, my God, this is a no-brainer. we got to do the basketball feel. This is cool as heck. I've never seen yeah, it very I, I took the cover off, and I went, hold the phone. Yeah, it's, it's a leather like binder of basketball. So yeah. that, was, that was their idea. They gave me three choices, but it, was, it wasn't even a choice. We went right with it. It's funny you mentioned John Gordon. He was number three on my list of things to go down. I'd never heard of him until I read your book. And, and the quotes uh, in your book from John Gordon are, are stellar. And how did you bump into him in the first place? So um, everybody, I read a book, well, he has so many really good books, they're, they're parables, but The Energy Bus was one I read a while ago, just because I remember the, the, when it first came out, the title caught me, because I just, I'm just. Then he has a kid's version too, right, or something? Yes. I read that in your book? Yeah, anyway, go ahead. So, um, so I read The Energy Bus, and then I started, I don't know, five years ago, that everybody who came into my program had to read the book. I bought, I bought a ton of them, from John and um, you know, secretaries, managers, assistant coaches, every incoming player, they all got to read it. Everybody's got to read it because I'm just not going to deal with, you know, energy vampires, they call it, guys that right. suck the energy out of the room. And um, so we were, we were literally, it was, it was something, the Final Four was just the craziest experience. It was just, no matter what, you, if you said something, someone heard it and there was going to be a story about it. Right. And Marcus Towns said something about, they were, we, were, we were coming back from a huddle, after we were going to start stretching, and he's just patting, he was hitting guys, no energy vampires, he was slapping. And one of the reporters must have read it and said, and then did a, a deal on it. So next thing you know, John tweeted at me, and then we, we struck up a friendship, and we've kept in touch. I've been on his podcast, and we've met for lunch, and I just think he's amazing. I mean, you follow him on Twitter, he's just, he's phenomenal. Okay, well, I, you know, and I don't think I do follow him on Twitter, but, the, but ever since I read your book, I'm bumping into him on Twitter all the time. So I don't know how that happens. It's one of those yeah, algorithms out, or something. He's about positivity and, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's worked with, ironically, Clemson football. He's, his kids went there. He's very, very close to Dabo Sweeney and he's, mm -hmm. um, he's, he's really good. You talk a lot about Coach Baroni and Coach Majerus in the book, and, and, you know, you've spoken about those guys to me in the past as well. And I've gotten to know Brian a lot better now since he's coaching nearby at, at Edwardsville. How would you compare and contrast those two coaches? Well, um, they both had such a huge impact in my life, but Coach Baroni had the first impact. I was, he was my college coach. And just how he ran the program. He had, you know, Mrs. B was involved. The... Um, it was such a family atmosphere. It was so much about, um, you know, accountability that you, like, I never had someone get on me as hard as Coach Brony did, but I, there was never a day I feel he didn't love me. You know, it was, it was a great dynamic, you know. You see some people get on you, get on you, get on you, and it just beats you up to the point where, God, you know. But he would get on us, but then there was, there was no doubt you knew how I felt. And then he hired me. I got into the profession because of him. And I worked six years as assistant. And then I saw that side of him. 
the organization, the, the, the attention to detail. Um, you just very, very detail oriented in all that. And, um, and then I was able to work for coach Majerus and he was, he was different cause he didn't have a family, you know, he, he, you know, but he was too, would hold you accountable and you should see it. It was amazing how he got those guys to run through a wall for him. You know, you either, you either bought in and it was just tremendous love or you didn't. And there was tremendous separation. Um, <laughs> And I was on the side where I just loved him. And, but the also I took for him, just an amazing genius-like basketball mind. Just the way he looked at things, sitting in a room, talking to him about, like, how we're going to stop a team. Or just, I mean, just looked at the game in a, in a different way. And uh, just fortunate to have two guys. And that's what's fun about, you know, and, and fun, but also a blessing to have my own program, is that you can take from people you learn from and then put your own personality on it. You know, and that's what I've had been very, very fortunate to get another chance at Loyola is, is to be able to do that. Take what I've learned from Coach Brony, Coach Majerus, and then make it your own. And, and that's, that's, that's part of growth is taking what you've learned from your mentors along the way and then taking what you like and making it your own. You talk a lot in the book about uh, being let go at Illinois State and and you mentioned it earlier about reinventing yourself, those, those, that kind of process that had to take place. Uh, those weren't easy times for you. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, just, I mean, the hardest part of my professional life was that, you know, I mean, we had just won at Little Rock and we just, it was a young up and coming coach and you had to take over program it was last place. And as you know, the Valley then it was like booming. It was like four or five teams were getting in the tournament and we were clawing our way back up and, we, I had a seven-year contract in year four. You know, we had our third AD in four years. And uh, I thought we were right there. We had the freshman of the year, Osiris Eldridge. We had real, everybody back. We won, I think, 17 games or six, six years, 17 games with everybody back. And the league was all senior-oriented. And the business side of it, they bought three years of my contract out. And uh, it was hard. It was hard to, you know, all of a sudden – you know, I remember, I remember sitting there at a crossroad. I had an opportunity to go become a lo uh, very, very low D1 head coach in a very, very tough situation. And my ego was telling me to go, to go there. And then my, my faith and my brain was saying, you know, I, I had this opportunity to coach Majerus. I know it's humbling to go back to being a coming assistant, but I was young and I'm like, God, we could learn from him. You know, where am I going to learn the most? And that's what I had. And I just kept on saying God has a plan. I just kept on saying that to myself and, uh, trust me, there was times where it, it wasn't like, like it was a flip of the switch. I got better. No, I harbored bitterness for a while. You know, I did. And I just, the harder you work, the more you just kind of, you know, see it. And I got, I got just entrenched with coach Majerus learning and, you know, building that program up. And, uh, you know, I just didn't want that to define who I was. Cause I've seen it at the final four, you walk into the lobby and it's like, you know, you got a scarlet letter on your thing. Oh, you got fired. And, you know, people think it's the, you know, you got the plague or something. It's just, it was something that I looked at, uh, you know, I just, I didn't want that to be de who defined me. I didn't want to be fired Porter, you know, and, and, uh, you know, even final four Porter, it's, it's not who I, it's, it's, I'm Porter, you know, and that's, that's, you can't let that define you, you know, on either side of the spectrum. Right. Uh, in that time, and you talk a lot in the book about both your positive mental attitude, but also the importance of your faith and, connecting both with family and friends, but faith and family is just gigantic to you. And you talk about it uh, relentlessly in the book. It was obviously purposeful for you 
to talk about those things and they're being, being important to you? Well, the older you get to, you know, God works sometimes in reverse order, you know, and that's hard to see that. It's very, very hard to see that reverse order because right when something happens to you, it's very hard to be like, it's, it's got to be part of the process. There's going to be a plan here for me of my road. And sometimes you don't see that until way down the road and he's working in reverse. So I just, um, I have a quote that I, that I give to my kids today because today's the opening day of school. Um, I give it to my team, opening practice. I have it in my office on the wall, it, everything. And it's how you think is how you feel. How you feel is how you act and how you act defines you. And, and I just- the opening line of the book, really. Yeah. I yeah. mean, it, 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 it's, for, I've had it in, with me, like I can't even tell you decades. And I just think it starts with how you think. How you think is how you feel. I mean, I used that with one of my players the other day. He was angry because he was, his knee, he, he had, uh, he was Keith Clemens. Keith Clemens, you know, had a, a scope on his knee during the year. And then it kind of flared up during this pandemic, you know, and when he was coming back, it was sore. And he, he was so anxious to get back. And after he got back, it swelled up on him. And then he came back and he was trying to play. And he, he wasn't playing well. And he just came into practice angry. And he had the worst, the worst day. And I'm like, what's wrong? And he's like, I'm just so angry. I go, how you think is how you feel. And all of a sudden he started smiling. He's like, he was thinking he was angry and that's how he was feeling. And that's how he was acting. And that's how he was defined. And we just talked so much about having a positive mindset. And it's, it's not easy to have a positive mindset. You just, just got to wake up and have gratitude, man. Gratitude, just even this pandemic. What, what are some things you're grateful for? And it just gets your day started out great. I was, I was coaching Little League Baseball. And I made every kid pitch. And, uh, and, and we had our, our number one rule was we were going to have fun no matter what. Yeah. And so this little guy is pitching. He's about third grade and just getting hammered, you know. <laughs> and I told our kids, I said, I'll never even take you out of a game unless you want to come out, like if you're a pitcher. And oh, so, I mean, he's just getting crushed. And I walk out to the mound and he goes, because I could tell it was getting to him. And I said, uh, so he looked at me and he goes, you want me out? And I said, no, I just want to know if you're having fun. And he said, no, I'm still having fun. I said, good, go carry on. That's awesome, you Harry. You, you are meant to, I could just, I'd love to watch you coach, man. That, you're, that's awesome. We, we had lots of fun back in the day. Uh, at the end of the book, uh, you talked about the challenge of, of somebody offering you a job somewhere else. And, and you were really clear about some of the reasons why you stayed and so forth. And you also said, but this doesn't mean I'll never leave. So it kind of left it open there for the, for the conspiracy people out there. They're all wondering, well, what would it take to get Porter to go? That, that's not uppermost in your mind. But as we're looking at faith, family, decisions you've made, all those kinds of things, um, you know, it's an it's a intricate world that you live in where people, you're just Porter. You're not Final Four Porter or Fired Porter. But in the world you live in, there's a whole lot of ways that people are going to evaluate what's good, what's successful, what's not. How do you look forward at your time there at Loyola and, and the challenges that are going to come to your heart as you go forward? Well, I, that, th those, are, those are great deep questions, Harry, you know, because um, it's just, it's, it goes a lot into if you're going to completely change your, your, where you've been for 10 years, you know, and, you know, for me, it, be having a purpose. And what the challenges that, that I faced is we were seven minutes away from playing in the national championship game. We were up 10 against Michigan, and I mean, trust me, my, my therapist says I'll get over it. I'm not sure. <laughs> um, but we were, we were right there. And, you know, it drives you. It drives you. Why not, Loyola? Why not? I had a, a very, you know, it, it was actually Ben. 
Um, I don't even, I, I, I reference it a lot. And I think I told one person who it was, and I think I mentioned it to Ben Jacobson one time, but it was actually him. And he kind of said it in passing, I think it was at one of the meetings. And he said, man, why run from happiness? I'm happy. And it just, that stuck with me. You know, if you're happy, because I've talked to a lot of guys. Yeah, I, I'm really, really happy on payday. But the other 29 days of the month, it's really, really hard. Wow. You know, I've had coaches say that. And I'm like, God, my kids are all teenagers. I mean, what a time to be able to, you know. And, but what drives me is I want to win a national championship. You know, the challenges are that we're, we're these coaches in, our, in the Valley are working so hard to try to get back to where we were, to where we're getting three or four teams in the tournament. There's a lot of things working against us. Scheduling, the net, a lot of things working against that. That's a huge challenge because it's really hard. You gotta be special three days in a row right now in St. Louis. Right. Playing really well, really good, well-coached basketball teams. And you gotta win three games in a row. And you know, upsets happen, free throws happen, anything could happen. And that's the challenge of you could have a you can finish first in the league. You know, and that's a challenge. We got to get this, and everybody's working towards that to get that thing back to where, man, we can. I, I, I like I like where we're positioned this year if we play. You know, for us, there's a, there's four or five teams I think. You know, Jake's team. You know, Bradley, Indiana State, Illinois. There's a lot of teams, Missouri State, uh, that are, are are right there, poised that can do some things. Um, Drake. I mean, I can go down the list. Everybody's got newcomers, and um, so that's the challenge. But just uh, to stay, I, I love having a purpose of Loyola. I love that the pride of that, that we're, we're, I mean, there was nobody at our games. There was nobody that, I mean, our campus looked like a Big Ten bookstore. You know, you had every Big Ten sweatshirt walking around our campus. Now we got, I mean, people are in Chicago. I see it at the airport. I mean, it's, it's I love having a purpose. I love the connection you have with the student body, you know, where, where people see you in Chicago and they know. But, um, but like you said, it doesn't mean I'll never leave. It's just, I like having a purpose. And I like being in a position where we can win. I, that, that's, that really fuels me. <laughs> just being in a place we can, you think you can win. You had Sister Jean right the forward. I have her sitting right over here over my right shoulder. Uh, I, wear, I wear one of the scarves, you know, that you've got your people wear. Uh, you guys have, I think, sparked the whole league forward, though, by the way that, that, that your campus and your school has captured people's I, I, ideas because of the final four run, but also the passion and energy that your, your whole program carries. No, that's, um, yeah, back to sister um, doing the forward. I mean, the, the, they had the title driven by passion, energy, and purpose. I'm like, oh, who better to write the forward about those three words than, than sister. And uh, as you know, she turns 101 this week and um, just, you know, during the pandemic, she's emailing everybody talking I mean, you probably saw that tweet that I sent out and I just checked in with her and she's like, yep, just watching the NBA bubble. I mean, how, <laughs> how hilarious is that? She's 100 years old watching the NBA bubble. And um, so, but she's, um, you know, her purpose and everything. And I, I think I, I said in my book too, I, I confided in her. I asked her to pray for me. And she, uh, I didn't tell, there was hardly anybody knew originally what I was doing. And I, my, my wife, obviously, and Steve, um, but I, I, I mentioned, I, I asked sister, and she followed up later that day with the, like a two-page letter on things to, for me to think about. Wow. And she wasn't biased. I mean, she threw her little rambler things in there, you know. <laughs> um, <laughs> of course, she had to do that. But she's just, she's just one of a kind. But I love how, like what you said later, of where we've come. 
You know, when, the, when Doug Elgin was so key on, on and having a vision of Chicago and Loyola coming into the league, but it wasn't a popular choice. There was a lot of resistance when people remember, and we struggled. We struggled that first year. And, and then we, we broke through, we won the CBI, you know, Ben Richardson and Dante won the CBI. So people were like, well, you know, and then we ended up the last, you know, three years, but um, I love where we've come, you know, where no excitement to a ton of it, uh, the respect to where, you know, what Loyola stands for on and off the floor. And, um, and we're still going. And, and I love the direction of the league, the, the, the coaches in this league and what they're doing on their campuses. And it's, gosh, it's, it's, I've been in the league a long time as a player and at two different places. And I love where the league is going with, with the players they're recruiting, the coaches are in this league and what they're doing on their campuses. Uh, I want to, I don't want to keep you forever. I do want to talk a little bit about basketball. We've been talking about your book all in and it, it, the, I do have a complaint though about the book. It's entirely too interesting and worth reading and then too short. I, I didn't want it to be over. I, I, well, thank you. Thank you. You know, my daughter said that. And I, I've, ag I've actually had a good response with it because it's an easy read, you know. But you don't want to have it daunting where you look at a book and it's like three inches and you're like, you think you're reading the, the JFK biography. And um, so I, I didn't, I didn't want to go there and, and like do something long. But um, I don't know. I, enjoy, I, I, I enjoyed it way more than I thought I would. Like it was, it was, a, it was very hard because I didn't want to sound like I was on a soapbox. I didn't want to sound like, hey, look at me, I'm preaching to everybody. I didn't want to do that at all. I wanted to be very real and, and humble about, because man, I've had some pitfalls. <laughs> I've, I've had some learning, but that's the fun of everything. You know, I'm 51 years young and I just feel like, you know what Kevin Eastman said in that book, be a lifelong learner, you know? And I just, that's the fun of it, is, is, is taking your pitfalls, taking your things that have molded you who you are, and get competitive and reinvent it to a new story. And that's, that's what's been fun about it. Uh, so expectations for this season. Nobody knows what's going to happen. Are we going to end up with NCAA bubbles? Are we going to have a Missouri Valley Conference bubble? Are we just going to be able to play normal? Uh, so we can pontificate about that, but it's all big guesses. But talk to me about the expectations you have for your team, your particular team. You've got a lot of key people back and, and some great new people as well. Well, I'm, I'm not going to give you the, the coaches speak that you might get it at, at, a, at a media day. Um, I got high expectations, Harry. I think we're good. And I, I do. I think we're old. Um, I think we're hungry, bitter. Um, we're, we have an edge. I think we got a lot of different adjectives with us um, on how last year ended. Um, we didn't have a senior urgency last year. You know, we just didn't. We, did, we had, you know, five juniors. We started all underclassmen on the starting five. We came off the bench. You know, Marquise was a sixth man of the year. And then we had two kids sitting out. And we're five weeks into getting back together. We're, we, we're in our fifth week of workouts. And um, I think we got a lot of pieces. I, you know, you never know how it, how it ends up. Um, but I like our team. I think we're probably the deepest team we've ever had. Um, but I think the league is going to be able to say that about it. A handful of programs are about to say that. But I, I think Braden Norris set out for us last year. People are going to know who he is. Um, we knew because every day in practice last year, um, Cooper Kiefus was on the all freshman team two years ago, was out with an injury. Uh, I remember that last game, he had 16 in the conference tournament as a freshman. He's back and he's, I mean, those probably arguably are two of our best shooters in our program. 
that, that are added to the mix of, of what we have everybody back last year. So I like us. There's a lot of things that we got to get better at, um, especially from that charity stripe. I was going to say free throws, brother. Free oh, throws. I'll tell you, gosh. Um, I've, uh, I've tried everything, but we're going to keep trying. But I, I like the guy's mindset. We've got to get better defensively. Uh, got to get better guarding that three-point line. Um, so I like that the guys are hungry to get a lot better. And they, and, and they, have, they have that mixed with a, a nice level of confidence that they think they can be good. Well, if, if leagues have to play conference only, which, you know, would be better than not playing, uh, I've written several stories about that the only way to evaluate teams is on the floor. So, therefore, every conference champion ought to be in. Maybe every conference tournament champion ought to be in. Instead of, well, how are we going to evaluate a Big Ten team versus a Missouri Valley team? You can't. So, the only equitable way to do it would be to take all the champions, all the top two teams from every conference, something like that for the NCAA tournament. Do you have thoughts about what, how that might play out if, if we have conference only across the nation? Um, I had thoughts before the pandemic about that. I'll share them with you first. <laughs> I, I was a big proponent of, you know, there's so much about the net and this ranking and that they have the rankings for everything. They also have rankings of conferences. And I, you know, I, I, I was saying, you know, the automatic bid is exciting. That, that's very, very exciting, that tournament. But also, take the top 10, 11, or 12 leagues. You know, if you finish in the top 10 or 11, 12 leagues in the net, and you win the, your conference, but you don't win your tournament, you, you, you get an automatic bid. Now, think about that. Like, the top six or seven, the, the power, five, power six schools, their first team's going to get in anyways. All right. You know, you're only talking about a couple, one or two extra bids a year. And then you're rewarding these teams that have a chance to, to knock some people off and to make the March Madness even better. Do you give 32 conferences two bids? No, you can't. But if everybody's ranking everything, if you take the top 10 or 11 and give, and give them an extra bid if you win the tournament, I'm telling you, it only is going to make a difference of one or two bids a year because those seven or eight, if you win the league and they don't win the tournament, they're getting in anyway. How it looks for the pandemic, conference only, I don't, I don't even, you know, it's, it's, it scares me. I don't know. I mean, I don't know how they're going to do it um, with, with that. Are they going to, is it just going to be your automatic? Are we going to have a tournament? Are we going to be able to get it in a non-conference bubble in December? I think there's a lot of things on the table right now. Um, I just know that I'm for more teams than less teams. That just is what it is. I just, I, I just think um, these kids have been through so much, you know, and like, like give them an opportunity. Give them an opportunity, you know, and uh, we'll see. And this is especially – I'm not talking about playing right away. That's a whole different issue. The science is going to take us where we go. Right. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm for the science taking us where we go. But if they are going to have a tournament, I'm more for, you know, getting the Ramblers in there. <laughs> <laughs> well, the truer test, right, is the regular season. That is actually the truer test. I'm with you. The excitement of the of Arch Madness or – conference tournaments across the nation spectacular but but you go you know 12 and 6 or 14 and 4 or something in the Missouri Valley and happen to stub your toe on a Saturday in St. Louis that's criminal I, I look back on on the year that we went to the final four we were I mean we ended up the year 32 and 5 all right and Custer was out three weeks Richardson was out six weeks and 
we were, I remember we stumbled um, one other conference game there. And then we finally had them all back. We're playing better. And Jake had some injuries at Northern Iowa and they ended up being in the playing game. So we finished first. We get, we had to play the winner of the eight, nine game. And I'm like, are you kidding me? We got to play North. And if you look at that, that damn thing, that was the hardest game from that point on. It was like one of the hardest games we had even through the NCAA tournament. And you're like, none of that would have even happened. You know, it's so hard to look at this year. Northern Iowa and Loyola lost Dawson to play in games. Yep. I mean, it just, it's 18 games in the Valley going home and away in the way those atmospheres and the way those teams are. And then you start playing them a third time, the way the scouting is in this league. It's, it's very tough. So I do think the body of work of winning the Valley is, is says a lot. And look, at, I'm, I hate to say, but I, look at, look at the stat going into, going into uh, when Bradley played Michigan state, the Valley won nine out of 10 first round games in the NCAA tournament. Think about that. Nine out of 10. And then Bradley played Michigan state right to the wire and Michigan state went to the final four. So when the Valley is getting in, they're, they're, they're producing. And I think that's an amazing stat. Nine out of 10 first round wins for the Valley going, uh, going into that. Spectacular. Of course, it's in my league, you know, it's the league I love. So you're, you're preaching to the choir here. Um, if, if they decide bubble works, does it make more sense to maybe play the first half of the Valley season in a bubble versus doing non-conference games? Do you have a thought about that? No, I, 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 don't, I don't think about what, what the other. I think, um, I think the conference, if you're going to play the conference, I think they're leaning towards January, February, like that, like normal. Uh, whether it's in a bubble or not, who knows? There's been a lot of talk about non-conference bubbles in December. Um, like at Loyola, we don't have anybody on campus. Um, but a lot of schools are, that do have them on campus are leaving after Thanksgiving. Right. So there's a lot of talk once those kids leave after Thanksgiving, get a week to test and everything, and then maybe mid-December have a two-week bubble and a little pot of eight and then play a bunch of games. Now, obviously, there's so many things on the table, and the decision's way ahead of my head, over my head. <laughs> but um, I'm just saying that's – I mean – Coaches were talking, everyone's, you know, speculating of what. So um, I would like to see some a non-conference bubble in December during that time. You don't have anybody on campus, you know, uh, but there's a lot that goes into it. Science is going to lead us where we're going, you know, and how we, 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 we react to, you know, these next up, couple months. But um, if, if science says we can do it and is the safety of we can do it, you know, I think that the, I, I like the thought of some non-conference bubbles in your region. Uh, tell me about what are two of your newcomers that people aren't going to know about yet? Well, Braden Norris was one of them. Braden transferred from Oakland. He was on the all-freshman team there. One of the most efficient offensive players in the country, stat-wise. He averaged like 10 a game, almost six or seven. He had 170 assists, shot well over 40 from three. Just a really efficient, as a coach's son from Ohio. Just very, very tough. Um, and... Uh, you know, point guard combo. I like playing multiple point guards. Um, so he's someone that, that is, is there. Cooper's back. Um, and we have Baylor Hebb is a, a freshman from Texas. Um, and uh, really like him. He's a freshman guard doing well. He's on our campus. And, uh, but the, we have a lot of guys that, that are back. You know, Marquise Kennedy, Cam Crutwig, Lucas, Tate Hall, Ahir Ugwak, you know, Paxson Wojcik, Tommy. We got them. So we got the guys that were there last year. And then Braden and Cooper and Baylor are, are back. 
you you have it seems to me like about 18 guys on your roster what you're gonna have to do something about that some of the somebody's got the red shirt or something yes those are decisions i i don't have to come with with right now but we'll, we'll <laughs> see the time you know i love it competition competition is healthy it is very very healthy uh, final thought, uh, I want to remind people, we're talking about your book, All In, get it on Amazon or wherever you can find it. It's a terrific book. Um, the, uh, you and I talked as part of the teleconference or press conference that was on the, with the Valley a couple of weeks ago about the uh, social racial unrest. And I just kind of uh, been talking to a lot of people around the country and, and, and in the region uh, about that. What's the latest on your campus, meaning in terms of your interaction with your players? How are you continuing that conversation? You know, I, I said that before, and I even echo it even louder. I'm, I'm, I'm so encouraged and, and excited about this, that young generation. You know, um, they're, they're uniting. They don't want to stand silent. They, you know, so on our campus, we've, we've, our student athletes on all the sports, we're on a bunch of different committees where we're putting stuff together. We're, you know, as a department, we're getting up, we're, we're moving towards 100% every single athlete registered to vote. Um, we've, they've come up with Steve Watson, get some great um, t-shirts we've made for him. But on the educational front, our team, we've been doing weekly Zooms still, even though we can get together on educational. And I break it into groups, they do PowerPoints. You know, we did a PowerPoint, we had a couple guys present on John Lewis. We had a couple guys do on Juneteenth, um, a couple guys on the Great Migration on the, the, the black community and what the importance of, of Brownsville, Chicago. And that was educational for me. And so we've been continuing the educational piece, but also having conversations, we, literally weekly, about it. Um, we found a group that we're gonna be getting involved with in Chicago, um, that we're gonna be trying to, you know, if this COVID lifts in terms of, you know, with our time spent with it. But um, I just think it's a time that the, sometimes in our generations, Harry, we've seen tragic things happen and then everybody's excited for the movement and then it fades away. And we've had too many people stand silent. And this has gotta be a watershed moment for us that we're, we can't let it go. You know, white community, black community, you know, everybody together united against racism, against social injustices of decades of it, of centuries of it. And it just, you know, and we can't let it go. And I, I, I'm more encouraged in my life with the younger generation of wanting to affect positive change. And, I, and, it's, and our campus is, is very still, and it's gonna continue on being active. African-American friends of mine tell me they're encouraged because white folks are engaged, meaning the majority culture, the majority of the people are actually responding. And so I, you, you know, people your age, older like me and, and, and so forth, are saying, man, this is the first time we've ever seen that. And they're heartened by that. So I'm with you. I think we're in a, a chance. We have an opportunity, a window here to really win, you know, moving this thing forward in a, in a significant way. And that's what's got to happen, Harry. I'm on, I'm on an I'm NABC national coalition with, against racial, for racial reconciliation. And one of the coaches brought up the old BCA. And mentioned the the, um, the BCA and what I asked the some young black coaches you remember the old BCA I'm like you want to do history lesson look at John Thompson George Raveling Nolan Richardson um, John Cheney you know guys that uh, and they were trying to push remember the old prop 48 and all the ACD and they made such a push 
and they even came out and said it. It wasn't until Dean Smith stood up and said, hey, this is, listen to these guys. These guys, and, and then all of a sudden, you know, and we were, there's going down in history, you know. There was a, he, one of the coaches on the thing brought up Frank Sinatra. He said, I'm not playing in Vegas anymore until Sammy Davis does. You know? <laughs> and he, he brought that up in our thing. And then I, uh, for, and so for us, it have, we have to. We have to. The white community, we cannot stand silent. We've got to be against it. We've got to not stay neutral and be afraid of what we say. Say, hey, I got empathy. I have empathy. I care. I care that it's been decades and centuries of injustice. I care. And it isn't right. We've got to, stay, we've got to unite and, and say that and stand up for it um, and not be neutral and just hopefully they, you know, it'll change. No, it's, that isn't the time now. It's different. So when's the next book coming out? Um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I, uh, it was, um, hopefully I'll have something different to write about. Another, another, uh, another uh, sweet success story to, to write about. But uh, maybe the one I'm Coach Majerus. I, 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 Harry, we will laugh and laugh and laugh at my journal notes. Every once in a while, I'll sit by my fire pit and start reviewing some of my notes and just start belly laughing. I'll start calling some of the guys I work with, Chris Harriman, you know, and just start laughing and, but uh, maybe one with Coach Majerus. Just I learned so much, and just working for him for four years was a roller coaster of, of an unbelievable ride for me. Listen, I appreciate your time. Wish you guys all the best there in Chicago. Stay stay healthy, stay safe, and uh, so you have no kid, no students on campus at all right now, or or they will be coming, or they're just not going to come for a while. They're not coming. They've already made the announce. Everything's online. They were going to have the freshmen live in all the dorms in their own room. And then there was the spike nationally. And then they just made the decision first semester, nobody's on campus. Wow. And um, our athletes are, but um, everything else is on online. Wow. Amazing. Well, listen, super appreciate your time. Love the book. Really, really did. Like I Thanks, said, my Harry. complaint was it was too short because I was enjoying it so much. Thank so, you so uh, much, Harry. Yeah. Appreciate your time. All the best to you guys in Loyola. Stay safe. All right, that's our friend Porter Moser from Loyola University, Chicago. You've been watching and listening to the Valley Hoops Insider podcast right here on valleyhoopsinsider.com.